I'll share with you the, the word that I felt God gave me this morning, and it was togetherness. And, and, and so this isn't, this isn't my sermon, I'll come to that in a minute, but just I felt as I was being in worship, I felt the Lord say to me, just say to the people here, togetherness. And then we sang that song, and the line that, where's Steve gone, I don't know where, but, but the line that he kept singing, we're gathered together to lift up your name. And I, I just, every time that word together came, I just felt God say, that's the word for TWCF right now, togetherness, togetherness. Do you know, the enemy will do all he can to isolate you. It's his whole objective in life. He'd done it right from the beginning and he's still doing it now. His whole objective is isolation. And so it may well be that you're here this morning, but you're feeling isolated. Well, I want you to know there's only one person who causes you to feel like that, and it's not God. And, and so somebody here today needs to know that you are called to be together. And, and we need to, to be passionate and active in our togetherness. You know, I love the fact that Stuart started off this morning by reading those incredible verses uh, that talk about the fact that we're adopted into his family. He's our father. What a great thing to celebrate on this Father's Day. He is our father. How secure are we, friends? He is our father, our dad in heaven. And, and, and that's our security this morning. But I want to tell you the implication of that is that you and I are brothers and sisters. So have a look around this morning. Come on. Because this is the problem in the church is that we can cope with God as our father, but we're not so good at coping with each other as brothers and sisters. Hello? Oh, I know you're perfect here. That is the truth. We can't, and, and I think there's a danger that we come in worship and we come into a place like this and we're kind of like, oh, Father, I'll adore you, but I won't adore them. Well, actually, actually, if, if he's our Father, he calls us to be together in this. We're called to be together. And I really felt that that was a word I just wanted to bring to us today, that actually God help us. May we strive. Paul says strive for unity. Why does he say that? Because he knows it's hard work. <laughs> you've got to learn about me I like a bit of response okay so every now and again go yes Sarah yes Sarah okay it's hard work this thing doesn't come easy it wasn't easy right from the beginning read about it in Genesis it starts off with everything doesn't it? it starts off with murder for goodness sake it's right there right at the start but I want to tell you that God is doing something among his people there is an incredible togetherness that is happening not just in TWCF not just in our church in Folkestone but I'm talking about the church in this nation and as Stuart led us in praying, that was such a good moment in praying. And, and I, I, don't have a, I don't have loads of information, but, but the small window of opportunity that I have due to the various roles that, I, that I'm a part of, at the moment I'm, I'm very involved in our churches together in Folkestone. And, and just that small window of opportunity that I get, this week I had an opportunity to go to London and, and to be there in Westminster with a, a prayer breakfast, praying for our nation. I want to encourage you, church, that God is doing something. There is a, a rippling happening right now. God is doing something and it's happening with our togetherness. It's not about assemblies of God anymore. It's about our togetherness. Yeah, and, and I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of it. And it's time that we rose together and we said we are here for one purpose, and that is the kingdom of God and his generation. Father, I want to thank you for this church. I want to thank you for the heritage that it's built on. I want to thank you, oh God, that you are doing a new thing. I want to thank you for the amount of people that are here this morning. And I believe, Father, that this is, your, this is the, the mission team for this town, for this community. And Father, I want to pray in Jesus' name that your word will change us today, that your word will encourage us, your word will direct us. That, Father, we would understand that we don't do this in isolation, but we do it together. It's our togetherness. You, oh God, have placed the right parts in the body the way that you designed it to be. And so today we celebrate our togetherness. We celebrate you as Father God, but we celebrate that we are brothers and sisters united because of Christ Jesus. And we can all say, Amen.
Amen. If you've got your Bible, would you turn to Hebrews chapter 12? Very well-known verse. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. If you know it well, why don't you say it with me? Let's get into the habit of quoting scripture, yes? So here we go. This is what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion. I love that word, the champion. Come on, say that with me, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Cracking. What a cracking verse that is. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We live in, in such a technical age right now, which means that, that there's this kind of strange thing in that we can know so much about each other, know so much about people because of the joy of social media. We, we can know so much information and yet actually know so little. Isn't that true? I, I find it fascinating. As someone who is quite a people person, that just comes quite naturally to me. You might want to call me nosy, but anyway, whatever you want to call me. But I'm, I'm quite a natural people person. But I find it fascinating that actually the social media networks that are supposed to cause us to relate more together are actually causing greater division and causing more damage uh, uh, because the effect of them is that we actually draw assumptions about a person due to an image or a status quote that we see rather than actually taking time to find find out what's really going on behind the scenes. And so actually our instant world of knowledge means we actually know very little at all. I'm fascinated when I talk to people. You know, I'll, I'll talk to people, just, just to give you an example. This will happen regularly to me. I'll be talking to someone and I'll say, oh, you know, so-and-so, they're going through a really tough time or something's happening. And, and whoever I'm telling will go, are they? Well, well, I didn't get that impression from what I looked at on Facebook. Or, or do you know, just to give you an example. Doesn't that happen all the time? Or the opposite that actually we portray something that actually isn't really the truth. A crazy world where actually we think we know so much, but we know so little. Those of you who know me will know that I grew up in this place. This is church. This is home for me. And so I I grew up uh, from the age of zero learning the stories of this great book. How I'm thankful to God for that. And many of you sitting here will say, yeah, me too. Might not be in this church, but another church. I grew up so familiar with the stories in this book. And yet the challenge that I'm living with now, at the lovely age I am, (laughs) the challenge I'm living with now is that I can be so familiar with this book and yet know so little. And that's what I want to talk about today. That we can know quote, unquote, so much. We can be so familiar with the stories in this book, but actually we know so little. You see, here's the, here's the truth. We grow up, and if you've done any teaching in Sunday school, you will know this. We, we grow up teaching the children the stories, and the titles reflect the endings, don't they? 
The titles reflect the what, will, what, what happens at the end. That the titles reflect the triumph. The titles reflect the miracle. That that's what they reflect. Jesus feeds the 5,000. It tells the, tells the end of the story before you've actually looked at the beginning. And so the danger with, with growing up in church or the danger with becoming so familiar with this book is that we know the ending so well that actually we forget to look at the detail. I wonder where you're at today. Because I want to suggest to you that actually it's in the detail that I think the real breakthrough happens. And I want to suggest to you, and this is where I'm going this morning, that actually it's in the detail. And here's the truth about the detail. The detail is often unseen. But it's in the detail of your lives that the real breakthrough is happening. It's happening right now. And I'm, I'm here this morning with a message of encouragement for us. It's a message of encouragement. And I pray that it'll encourage your hearts. See, here's the thing, is that we look at the stories from a bird's eye view. So we look at the stories. Let's take the most classic story, Easter. So so we look at the story of Easter, and because we know the way it ends, we just skip over it. Have you ever paused to really think about what really was going on on that Saturday? Have you ever paused to consider it? I wonder if right now some of you feel like you're in a Saturday. A Saturday. Just a few years ago, for the first time ever, I began to pause and consider how those disciples were feeling on Saturday. What a day. See, see, we know. We know that Sunday morning is coming, and we all get really excited, and we all get like, yeah, resurrection morning. But they didn't. They didn't know. I love hearing the story that, that Gareth tells. Gareth, my husband, um, he's, on a few occasions now, he's been over to Burkina Faso in West Africa, and he tells an incredible story. Forgive me if I've told it here before. I don't think I have. But, um, but he tells this great story of how they went out into one of the villages um, uh, basically to plant a church. And, and so how they did it is that they went out and they set up a, a screen and, and, and a, a video projector and they showed the story, the film Jesus. And so there they were out in this tribe where there was no church and these people had never heard the stories of Jesus before. And, and he said he had the privilege of being able to, to sit there and maybe they were like, I don't know, 40, 50 people. I don't, I don't know how many people there were. That's irrelevant, really. But the point is that they gathered these people around in this kind of shack and then they put on the film Jesus. Now, of course, Gareth has seen the film Jesus, but even if you haven't seen the film Jesus, we know the end of the story, right? We become so familiar with it, we lose the impact of it. But he said that as he sat there watching it, he said when Jesus is dying on the cross, he looks at the faces of these dear African people and they are crying properly crying. And in that moment, Gareth realized they haven't heard this story before. They they don't know it. And then he said, as the story unfolded, and it got to Sunday morning, isn't that just the best verse in in the Bible? Early Sunday morning. As they go to the tomb, thinking they're going to find one thing, actually they find another thing. He is not here, he has risen. And as they get to that part of the film, Gareth said that these beautiful African people just stood up and cheered and applauded just like you and I do if we go to the cinema and we're watching a film come on you know what I'm talking about when you go and watch a film at the cinema and one minute you're crying and the next minute you're laughing and you walk out going oh that was a proper good one wasn't it you know I'm talking that kind of emotional experience that some of us have forgotten to have when we read this book because we become so familiar with the endings that we take it for granted But here's the truth of it, that the people that were walking, the stories that we read about, they didn't know the endings. 
I'm not telling you anything that's rocket science this morning. I'm just reminding us that, friends, their stories speak loudly to us. Their stories speak so loudly to us. Therefore, since we have such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, it's a life of faith because we read in Hebrews 11, and I almost want to suggest to you that when you read Hebrews 11, it's a little bit like a Facebook status update on each one. It's kind of like, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened. But actually, they didn't know the outcome. When Joseph was stuck in the prison for two years, well, it was more than that, but, the, but that verse where it says for two years, he, he basically has, has said to, to the butler, he said, please don't forget about me. And then it just says, quite casually, two years later, two years later, Joseph's still sitting there in prison. You know, there's a little verse when you read it in Genesis. I was reading it again this morning, and it just says, you know, please remember me, Joseph says to the butler. And the butler says, yes, I will. And then just casually it says, but the butler forgot. Just casual detail like that. But you know what? Some of you are facing situations right now, and the detail of your life is that someone forgot. I want you to know you're in good company this morning. Because Joseph knows what it's like to be forgotten. He knows what it's like to sit in a prison for two years. Hold on, not two days, not two hours. Some of us can't cope for two minutes. God, where are you? Two whole years. And we read the story and we go, oh, but we know how it all ended for Joseph. It was brilliant. And now they've made a musical about him. So it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Hang in there, Joseph. Come on, Joseph. I won't get into it, sorry. But you know, because they're kind of going, well, we know the end of the story. Yes, we do, but he didn't. So how did he walk his story? By faith. And their stories scream loudly to us today, 2016, in Tunbridge Wells, in this hall. They scream loudly to us. Come on, friend. Hang in there. Your story isn't over yet. It's still being written and you need to keep walking it by faith just like they walked it by faith. It's not over yet. I want to say to you this, never underestimate the power of your story. I'm going to say that again. Never underestimate the power of your story. Some of you are going through some some intense trials right now. And you're waiting for the triumph before you tell your story. And I want to suggest to you that you need to start telling your story now. Because people need to hear your story. And what's your story? Your story is, I'm still here. Your story is, God is still faithful. Your story is, it's not over yet. Your story is, I'm living by truth. Your story is, I'm walking by faith and not by sight. People need to hear your story It's no good waiting until we get the triumph because then everyone goes, oh, it's all right for you now. We need to get better at telling our story in the midst of our story, but placing Jesus right at the center of it. Each story, this is what I've discovered in in this last year especially. I've just dug a bit deeper into the detail of the story. I've needed to do that because of my own journey and my own experience. I found myself just searching these stories in a way that perhaps I haven't before. And as I've dug deep into the stories, I've discovered that each story is full of pivotal moments. Pivotal moments where declarations are spoken. Pivotal moments where decisions are made. Pivotal moments where revelation comes by the Holy Spirit and you suddenly see the wow moment of, now I get it and I shall never be the same again. 
oh God, for those moments. I believe that they're already happening here this morning. Those pivotal moments. Each story is full of them. I don't have time to to give you loads of illustrations, but I'm going to give you a few because I just want you to understand this. I've already mentioned Joseph. What a pivotal decision it was for him. And there's so many I could give you out of Joseph's life. But let me just give you the one where, where, that, that we know so well, where he's faced with the temptation of Potiphar's wife. What a pivotal moment in Joseph's life. Because in that case, it wasn't a decision to do something. It was a decision not to do something. Do you know, I really believe as I've been preparing this, that there's some of you here today and you're facing a decision and you need to make a decision to do the right thing. You need to make a decision, even though it will cost you, you're going to do the right thing. And you don't do it because you know the end of the story. You do it because it's the right thing. Joseph didn't know what was at stake when he made the right decision, but he did it anyway by faith. Come on, say amen. He did it by faith. He did it by faith. I was thinking about Daniel. I've been reading his story recently. And Daniel, we all know because, again, of the title, Daniel in the lion's den. We all know the miracle. We all know that God shut the lives, the mouths of the lions. And what a tremendous triumph and victory. And whoa, brilliant, brilliant. But actually, I want to suggest to you that the pivotal moment for Daniel, the actual breakthrough moment, didn't come when Daniel was thrown into the pit with the lions. His breakthrough moment came when he went upstairs to his room and he still had the window open and he got down on his knees and he prayed despite the fact that he was told not to. That was the pivotal moment, unseen. But it was his pivotal moment where he said, no matter what I'm being told to do, I'm being told I mustn't pray to my God, but nothing will stop me. A pivotal moment where a decision was made and that's where the breakthrough came. Nehemiah, I love the story of Nehemiah. I I love it. I I just love it. (laughs) This incredible story of this man who has his heart broken because he hears that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. And and, and I guess I love it because maybe my personality just relates to to that. I, I can just understand what it would be like for Nehemiah. He gets this news and his heart is broken and and then he goes on this journey of, of praying and saying, God, I want to do something. And, and the burden won't leave him. And, and then he then goes to the king and he then says, will you give me permission to go back to Jerusalem? And I want to fix the walls. He wants to do something. He's an activist. I love that about him. He's got a passion. He's got a burden, but he does something about it. There's a lot of us that have burdens about stuff, but we do nothing about it. I'll just leave that one with you. And I'd question, is it ever really a burden? He does something about the burden that he's got. He sees a need. Nehemiah's not the kind of person who says, oh, somebody else will fix it. Nehemiah says, I've got to do something about this because I've seen the need. And this incredible story, and what I also love about Nehemiah, and this is just so close to my heart, and I've already alluded to it this morning, is that Nehemiah has this incredible ability to bring team around him. He just has such a gift in to be able to get everybody with their sleeves rolled up, all mucking in to build this wall. I love it. What a gifting. All for that gifting in our churches. That actually we would recognize we're all in this together. So this incredible story of Nehemiah. And we know the success story that after, was it 52 days? I think it was 52 days, 50 something. Look it up if you're getting bored. (laughs) Nehemiah. 52 something days. They build the wall and it's such a success and it's brilliant. And it goes down in history of one of the good stories. 
But for Nehemiah, as I read the story and as I've taken such heart in it over this last few months, I've discovered this about Nehemiah, that I think his pivotal moments came when actually he received so much accusation. He received so much criticism. Those who should have been championing him were actually doing their best to bring him down. And I love Nehemiah's response because he basically, this is Sarah's version, he basically looks at them and just goes, I've got a job to do, now you lot clear off. Doesn't he? That's Sarah's brief version. I've got a job to do. Do you know what I've discovered? Not just in the last year, but in the last 10 years, 16 years, I don't know. Sometimes our most pivotal moments come when we just keep showing up. Some of you have got thoughts in your head right now saying, just give up. Just give up. Accusations have come. Lies have come. And actually, the word of the Lord for you today is, just keep showing up. Nehemiah just kept showing up. He just kept building that wall. I love it. At one point, he he almost suggests, I haven't got time. He says, I haven't got time. I haven't got time to be distracted with the lies that you're bringing my way. Oh, God, raise up a church who are so passionate about the job we have to do that our response to the lies and the accusations, and don't be fooled, they will come. We, we need to expect them. Some of us have this thing about, oh, everything should be all rosy, and then when it's not all rosy, we have a massive crisis, like it's God's fault. When did God ever say it was going to be easy? Read the Bible. Hello? Seriously? We've got to get over ourselves. We have this image of, oh, this is what it's going to be like to follow Jesus. But actually, read what the book says. But what he does say, oh, I love it when Jesus says, but cheer up, I've overcome the world. He says, come on, friends. He says, I'm with you. If God be for you, who can be against you? And actually, Nehemiah learned what it was to look his accusers in the eyes and to say, I've got a job to do. I'm not not getting off my ladder to come and talk to you because I've got a job to do. He made a decision. Pivotal moments where decisions are made. Pivotal moments where declarations are spoken. There is power in your declaration. Joshua stood before the people, before the Israelites, and he said, I don't know about you lot, but as for me, I'm serving God. What a declaration. What a pivotal moment. David faces Goliath, and he just looks at him, and Goliath's taunting him, and David just looks at him and says, I don't know about you, Goliath, but I'm coming against you because I have the Lord of the armies of heaven. What a declaration. That's where the battle was won. The battle wasn't won when he started doing that with his slingshot. The battle was won in his declaration. The battle was won when David said, I know whom I believe, and I'm confident. Friends, in our declaration, that's where the battle is won. Don't look for the, for the triumph. Don't look for the victory story. What about your declaration? Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego. And, and again, we, we read this in Daniel, how you've got these, these three guys. And, and, and yet again, they're faced with that scenario of, do they bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar, to this big statue that's been created? And we all know the story that they don't bow down, and so they end up being thrown into the fire. And we glory in the victory of the story, that actually the story is that Jesus was with them in the fire. But the pivotal moment came when actually they stood and they made this declaration. Our God can save us. Now wait for it. Someone needs to hear this today. But even if he doesn't, we're still not bowing down. Come on. Somebody needs to hear that. 
Our God saves. But whether I see it or not with my own eyes, I'm still doing what's right. Because I walk by faith, not by sight. Because I live by this book and not by my feelings. And not by my experiences or lack of them. Because we do what's right. Our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, I am asking God that as the church across this nation, we would rise with a bit more backbone. That we would be a people, that we would be a nation who are able to say, even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to bow down to the gods of this world, but actually I'm only bowing my knee before Jesus Christ and him alone. What was Paul's declaration? Paul's declaration, and I've already quoted it this morning, if God be for me, who can be against me? What a declaration. What a pivotal moment. These are journeys of faith. Pivotal moments where truth is revealed. I love the story of, of Zacchaeus. And again, we know the story of Zacchaeus about how, you know, he's, he's a little guy who climbs up the tree to meet Jesus. And Jesus says, come down. I'm, I'm coming to your house for tea. What a great story. We used to sing songs about it. And, and we all know the story so well. And right at the end, Zacchaeus, because he's taken everyone's money, he gives it all back times four, doesn't he? Yeah? And we all go, brilliant. What a great story of salvation. How did it come about? Pivotal moment. Because he chose to to sit in Jesus' presence. Do you know our pivotal moments come when we sit in the presence of Jesus Christ? Zacchaeus, because he encountered Jesus, his life was changed. I don't read anywhere in the story that Jesus said to him, now this is what you've got to do, Zacchaeus. I don't read that in my Bible. I don't know if you do in yours, but I don't know it in mine. I don't read that Jesus said to him, okay, we've had lunch together. Now listen, this is the deal. You want to follow me? You now need to go. And you need to get your money and you need to give four times back. I don't read that. How I read it is this. is that because Jesus has this incredible moment with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' eyes are opened. Truth is revealed to him. And as a result of that, he can't help but go and do what's right. Oh, listen to me. Let's have moments where we're in his presence because in his presence, truth is revealed. Revelation comes and it's from that place that our lives are changed and they're never the same for them. If it's true for the people that I've mentioned this morning, it's true for you and I. The story continues. The story continues. We're part now of of the story that's able to go because of this great crowd of witnesses. We're going to run our race with endurance. As I draw this to a conclusion, some of you just by being here today, This is your pivotal moment. Just by being here. Please don't underestimate the power of placing yourself in the right position. The enemy will do all he can to stop you being here. Just by being here, being in his presence, being with the family of God. Pivotal moments in our journey. Do you know, some of you are in a pivotal season right now. As I was praying about today, I just, just felt God drop some of these things in my heart. There's some of you, and you're in a pivotal season right now. It's not a day, it's not a moment, it's a season. And you're sitting here, and you feel like, well, to be honest, you, you can relate to Joseph. You feel like it's been two long years, and it may have been more, it may have been ten. 
I've just walked with a friend for the last 10 years through a tragic 10-year season. And literally, just two months ago, she's turned a corner. I don't have time to tell you the story. But I just want you to know that during that 10-year season, she hung on to Jesus like you wouldn't believe. I don't know where you're at, but some of you are in a season right now and you need to know it's a pivotal season. Your choices, your declarations in that season are what is going to bring the breakthrough for you. And you need to know that. It's a pivotal season, but you need to declare truth in the pivotal season. You need to make your decisions according to this book and not according to your feelings or the trends that are happening around you. It's a pivotal season. There's some of you right now and And you're in an intense trial. And this is the word for you. Your trial is becoming your pivotal moment. God is going to use the trial that you are in to become your pivotal moment. It will be the one that you look back on in time and you'll go, it was that trial that changed everything. And you need to hang in there, friend, because the intense trial you're in is actually becoming your pivotal moment. I think there's some of you here and the Holy Spirit just says, come on, I want to reveal new truth to you. I want to reveal some stuff to you. I want to open this book to you in a way that you've not seen before. And the revelation that you receive is going to be a pivotal moment for you. I love the story of the, of the disciples when they're, when they're on the road to Emmaus. And their hearts are heavy. Jesus has died. They don't yet know that he's come back to life. And their hearts are heavy. Your heart would be heavy too. And they're walking along the road. They don't know the end of the story yet. And you know how it goes in that Jesus, they don't know it's Jesus. They just think it's a man and he's walking with them and he walks with them. And he talks and they go together and they have a meal. And it's in that moment of having a meal that their eyes are opened and suddenly they go, wow, it's you. And then no longer are their hearts heavy, but they like run as fast as they can back to Jerusalem. But the verse that I love is this. It just says that they said to one another, didn't our hearts burn? Didn't our hearts burn as he talked to us? Oh God, give us moments like that where we can say to one another, didn't our hearts burn together as we sat listening to the word of God? Is your heart burning? When you read the scriptures, does your heart burn? Because that's what should be happening. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal truth to us that our hearts burn within us. And out of that place of of just revelation coming to us, it changes the way we live. It changes the way we walk and it changes the way we talk because God Almighty has met with us. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, I want to ask this one question. Did they know what was at stake when they made their declarations, when they made their decisions, when they had their encounters, when their eyes were open to truth, did they really know what was at stake? I suppose you could argue it either way, but I want to suggest to you that I don't think they did. I don't think they did. It concerns me that we can get so consumed about ourselves. Well, what's in it for me? Well, I'll, I'll make that right declaration if I know the outcome. 
I'll do the right thing if I know God's going to really bless me. Quote, unquote, because define blessing. Just throw that out there. Something to chew over when you're having lunch. We throw out these cliches. What are we doing? We're actually sort of bartering with God. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll do the right thing so long as you rescue me. I want to suggest to you that they didn't know what was at stake. We know, in retrospect, we look back on the stories and we can see what was at stake. So we're cheering Daniel on. Daniel, you better get praying because we can see what's at stake. Daniel, Daniel, the victory is coming. Mate, you're going to have an incredible miracle. Your story is going to be told. Joseph, they're going to write a musical about you. Mate, you better not quit. Joseph, you better do the right thing. We can see because we get the bird's eye view. We get the retrospect. Disciples on Easter Saturday, stick in there, boys. It's going to be all right. He's coming alive tomorrow. They didn't know. They were like you and I. They didn't have a clue. Just like you and I don't have a clue. We actually don't know. But we do it by faith. We continue to live by faith. We continue to act by faith. I want to tell you what is at stake. And it's one thing and one thing alone. And it's the glory of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom. That's what's at stake. These people lived by faith. They declared by faith. They made decisions by faith and they trusted by faith. Why? Because of a deep conviction to bring glory to God. It wasn't about them. It wasn't about what was in it for them. It wasn't about, well, if I do this, then I'll get my TV show. It wasn't about that. Well, if I do this, then somebody will recognize me and I'll get to write a book and I'll become famous. It wasn't about them. It was never about them. It was always about their conviction to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. May God help us that we live with the same conviction. May God help us to get over ourselves. May God help us to together So we're about his kingdom and his glory and his honor. And because of that, we'll make our declaration right. We'll make godly decisions. Because it's within that place that the pivotal moment happens. And I want to suggest to you this. Watch this space, friends. Anything could happen. Anything could happen. God bless you.